0: You're listening to Understanding Amos. This is a short series on the book of Amos, and it's part of a larger series we're doing, uh, trying to make the Old Testament accessible to lay people. And uh, I've talked about this in the past few episodes, and the more I say the title Understanding Amos, the more it sounds like some kind of TV sitcom. But uh, one of the things that I want to do is take some of the intimidation factor out of the Old Testament. I know when I was a young christian the old testament was something you sort of stayed away from you know you you really it was safer to just be in the gospels or in one of the letters of paul because it seemed a little more straightforward but when you start getting into the minor prophets you start getting into some of these long historical books you just get kind of lost it's a foreign culture they're talking about obscure things and i thought you know it's a shame that we we sort of neglect a vast majority of the bible Uh, Because of a lack of understanding. And so I hope to bridge the gap with this in accessible teachings, uh, starting with some of the minor prophets. So we already did a series on Joel called Understanding Joel. And this is uh, the sequel to it, Understanding Amos. Uh, And Amos is a really, really interesting character. And we've looked in the first four chapters. We've seen that he used to be a shepherd and then he got the call to be a prophet. And God's prophets are his spokesmen. There are people who show up and they go up to Israel and they say, hey, you guys are in a covenant, a legal bond with God. And God says, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. And if you disobey me, you'll be cursed. And so he's coming to Israel and he's saying, you guys are committing idolatry. You guys are oppressing the poor. You are taking bribes. Your nation is full of sexual immorality. Uh, Your nation is basically doing everything they can to get kicked out of the land, which is what God says will happen if they continue in their disobedience. And so in Amos 3 and 4, God kind of treats Israel like a rebellious son, somebody who has refused all of the correction that God has attempted to give to them. And the message for the entire book is this, repent before it's too late. Right? Change your mind, turn away from sin and turn back to God. Or else it's going to get ugly and uh, in this section we're going to look at Amos five and six and he's going to take sort of a different approach or maybe not a different approach but a more intense approach at at showing Israel the sin that they are committing. and the big idea here is that Israel is, is like an adulterous wife. So if in prior chapters, Israel is a rebellious son, here Israel is an adulterous wife who is corrupted in her character because of her adultery. And this leads to injustice. This leads to a lack of moral conformity to God's standards, a lack of of moral judicial decisions in the law system of Israel. But here's the silver lining. God says that I'll take you back. If you would just turn and seek me. And you start to realize that despite God's mercy, Israel is so hard-hearted. She is so obsessed with seeking false gods and false lovers that even the gracious acceptance of God, the gracious invitation of God to return is met with deaf ears. So listen to Amos chapter 5 and 6. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen, no more to rise, is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O oh, you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades in Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, "...who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor... And you exact taxes of grain from him. You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good, and not evil, that you may live." And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, In all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas, They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through their midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikath, your king, and Kiyun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Calna and see, and from there go to Hamath the great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? Or are you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence? Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph." Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob, and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house, and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, Is there still anyone with you? He shall say, No. And he will say, Silence! We must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands, And the great house shall be struck down into fragments, And the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in low Debar, who say, have we not by our own strength captured carnaim for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation. O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from Labo Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. So there's a lot of judgment language in this passage and a lot to do with justice and righteousness. Now, we've spoken about this before. In the Bible, justice has to do with moral judicial decisions, especially in the law and the legal systems of Israel. And righteousness has to do with moral conformity to God's law, God's standard. It's a pattern of behavior that is good, that is just, that is holy. And here we see Israel playing the part of the, the wife who has gone astray. And, and we see this in many passages, most starkly in Ezekiel 16, where Israel is this woman that God finds and nurses back to health and, and covers with uh, all the finest gold and jewelry and clothing and gives her food. And she ends up uh, whoring herself out to false lovers. That's, that's really what Ezekiel describes her as. So there are two things that we see here in Amos. First, Israel's prosperity has made her entitled. Her prosperity has made her entitled. And second, she must seek God by seeking good. She must seek God by seeking good. So let's let's look at that in a little closer detail. First, Israel's prosperity makes her entitled. What we see here is God is incredibly patient. Right? Sometimes, and I, I've mentioned this before, sometimes we, we think of God in the Old Testament as trigger happy, just ready to smite somebody for sinning. But actually, God prospers the nation of Israel for many generations, for centuries. If you look through First and Second Kings, the nation is still in periods of great power and wealth, despite the terrible leaders in, uh, that are at the head of their nation. So God is incredibly patient. He waits a long time before he finally says, it's time to exile Israel. But instead of Israel showing deference to God, instead of Israel showing gratitude toward God for his patience, they become entitled. They assume because they have prosperity, because they have the temple, that they're righteous, that they're okay. And a lot of times we think we're okay because everything's good, but it only takes It's it's as little uh, sins over time than one day topple upon you. And and this is what's going to happen to Israel. They think it's fine. They're oppressing the poor. They're taking bribes. They're uh, having unjust taxes, all these kinds of things. And they think they're fine because the temple's still up and their country's going fine. But judgment is looming. God is going to preserve the righteous, right? And, and that's a little bit of hope. We talked about the remnant, this idea that God says, look, uh, I'm not going to completely destroy Israel, but I am going to bring some discipline upon them. And he says, don't go to Gilgal or Bethel. Don't, don't go to these nations or rather these towns and cities in Israel that are known for their idolatry, but rather trust the Lord and know that even in this discipline, I am doing something powerful. And there's also these Verses in chapter 5, 21 to 24, where God says he hates their feasts. He doesn't like their solemn assemblies. He doesn't want their burn offerings or grain offerings. In other words, he's saying your, your, your religion is tinged with hypocrisy. And, and it's, it's left you deceived about your own status before me. So Israel's prosperity has made her entitled and made her presume upon the kindness of God. But the solution is she must seek God by seeking the good. Right? God says, seek me and live. You have trampled the poor. You've afflicted the righteousness, unfair taxes. You've been cruel to the needy who are at the gate. You lack a fear of God who created all things. And you're basically like, uh, it's as if you know, your boss gave you the keys to his mansion and said, I want you to take care of it for this weekend. And you end up throwing a party and trashing the whole house. You've not been faithful of what you've been entrusted with. And he says, look, you need to turn back to me and seek good. Seek justice. And it's interesting how justice is described like water. Water flows. It gives life. It causes everything around it to flourish. And justice is the same way. Having a nation that treats its people in a godly manner. That's important to God. And God says, look, you you have reached the point of no return, or at least you're right on the precipice right? You're doing evil and you're going to be exiled for it unless you turn back, repent and seek the Lord. And he says, look, if you keep doing this, I'm going to send you into exile beyond Damascus. And we see in biblical history, this is what happened. The northern kingdom of Israel, which is what uh, who Amos is talking to, ends up getting taken over by the Assyrians and taken away as slaves into their nation. And it's this kind of uh, twist of, of fate where Israel, the oppressor, now becomes oppressed themselves. And one of the great markings of entitlement is they're unconcerned with the ruin of their nation. It says that you are unconcerned with J- Joseph's ruin. right? Uh, as long as things are going good with me, it doesn't matter what's happening to people out there. And God says, look, I humble the Philistines and I will humble you Right? It's interesting how he compares him to a Gentile nation, to one of their enemies. He's saying, you guys are no better. You, you might thumb your nose at these nations who are pagans, but listen, it's almost worse because you have the law of God and you're not actually listening to it. And again, this is all heading towards the inevitable judgment that God is going to bring upon the nation. So Israel's problem is she's entitled. She's entitled and she's refusing to seek God. By seeking the good. By bringing justice to bear upon their society. And God, in, in turn, is, is going to judge them. He's going to bring and raise up another nation, in this case, the nation of Assyria, to come in as his instrument of judgment. To purify Israel. To discipline her. And to bring her back. So we can't divorce morality from Spirituality. Sometimes we think that the biggest feels or the most external displays of religiosity show that we're good with God. But in reality, it's it's love working itself out in action. That love is not a feeling or an emotion primarily, but but actions. And our love toward God is determined in our actions, specifically toward our neighbor. So it's not too late to change if you recognize this hypocrisy in your own heart. And, and we all have it to some extent. And the grace of God invites us to say, listen, behind all of this external stuff, where's your heart? Do you genuinely love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind? And when you recognize that you don't, do you come in humility? Do you seek the Lord? Do you seek him and receive his grace and his mercy? Amos understands that nobody can be called righteous. Nobody can stand before God unless you trust in the promise of God himself. And you can imagine Amos looking at the destruction of his culture, the destruction of his nation looming on the horizon and going, Lord, the only one that can get us out of this mess is you. And that's exactly the hope that we will start to see in the coming chapters.